Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. We're going to go through 40, um, the story of Palm Sunday, uh, Luke 19, 28 to 40. This is what it says. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter there, you will find a donkey tied up which no one has ever ridden, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who went ahead and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the donkey, its owners asked, why are you untying? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. They said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Today is Palm Sunday, the day that we traditionally remember when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem riding in on that donkey, a symbol of peace, but also a sign of the Messiah. For in the Old Testament, the prophets declared that the one day that the king, the savior of the world, would come from God and and he would come gentle and riding in on a donkey, Zechariah 9.9, this would be a sign of him. And so the people who had believed in Jesus and had witnessed all of the miracles that he had done up until that point, the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the preaching with authority, the calming of the seas, all of it, all these miracles, now alongside him riding in to Jerusalem in the way that had been foretold, I mean, they're at this point, they're all completely convinced and overjoyed. Jesus is the one. So much so, they come out of their houses, you know, and they welcome Jesus, waving palm branches, a symbol of victory, and singing and shouting, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us. And blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And we read that even children were praying and praising God on that joyous day. This is Palm Sunday. We know that story. But I, what I want to do is take us from that joyful Sunday... Uh, to how we get to the cross by Friday. Because we see in our scripture here that there were those in Jerusalem who did believe in Jesus, uh, you know, and then there were those who, in fact, uh, did not believe in Jesus and, in fact, hated him. And ironically, they were the most outwardly religious people, the high priests, the Pharisees, the ones that you would think would be in the most support and have the most faith, they actually had the least. They rejected Jesus because he didn't fit within their box, in their traditions. I mean, he healed on the Sabbath. He spoke about their hypocrisy. He claimed to be the Son of God. But how could Jesus be the Son of God, they thought? They didn't believe. 
in the Palm Sunday story, they're the ones who are yelling, rebuke, you know, uh, your disciples, Jesus, uh, and, and try to, you know, they're upset at him for letting this celebration go on like this. But Jesus says, if I tell them to be quiet, the stones will cry out. In other words, Jesus is telling them, I am he, I'm the Messiah, which made the chief priests all the more committed to killing Jesus and seeing him as a blasphemer and as a threat, a threat of leading the people astray. And every year, I am struck by the fact that the very people who actually crucify Jesus are the very ones he came to save, his own, the descendants of Abraham, the covenant people of God, the ones in his heart who were leading worship in the temple and teaching the Torah. Oh, how he loved them. And yet he came for them and they did not recognize him or believe in him when he came. We see in the story that many people, though, did believe in Jesus and shouted, Hosanna. But many people did not. And this always causes me every Holy Week to pause and think, which side would I have been on, you know? And, and what about today in, in my life as a Christian? Can I miss it? Can I miss what, what God is doing, even as a pastor? I mean, these guys we're talking about, these Pharisees and chief priests, they're the pastors in the temple, and yet they missed it. They knew the scripture they thought so well, but they could not see Jesus when he's standing right in front of them. And I pray that at times that all of us, myself included, would stay humble, and that as Christians we would keep our eyes on Jesus and on his word and open in prayer and not miss the ways that God is working around us? Where can we be just as blind as the Pharisees, outwardly religious, but missing Jesus, right? John said in John 1.10, he was in the world, though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to all who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so on Palm Sunday, there are those who believed and those who were rejected. There were the ones who yelled, Hosanna, and there were the ones who yelled, Crucify. Now, what has struck me this week, though, is how God turned that rejection and evil intent around to save us. Uh, for even though his people would reject him, even though Judas would betray him for 30 pieces of silver, even though they would accuse him and condemn him to death and have him crucified, the amazing and mysterious part of the whole story is that this is exactly how God would save us upon that cross. It would be on the cross that they put him that he would save us from our sins. This is the story that we believe. This is now the symbol that is, is on the walls of every church, the cross, that God in his sovereignty would somehow use the very thing they did against him to save the whole world, revealing that he was somehow in control the whole time. He didn't cause the people to reject him or cause Judas to turn on him, but God used that evil and turned it for our salvation, overcoming death in the grave and rising to give us eternal life. This would be our salvation upon that cross. And so 
what we see reading this story is that the evil plot against Jesus, the betrayal of one of his own, the chief priests who thought they were going to get rid of Jesus and save their nation by nailing him there, God was working through all of this for our ultimate good as the very way that he would redeem the world and save you and me from our sins. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's why he sent him. The cross was God's plan all along. 1 John 3, 16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Romans 5, 6 says, At just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, but maybe for a good friend someone would die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Now, can you hear in that? Can you see how the scripture is changing the narrative from portraying Jesus as the victim to Jesus being in control the whole time of his destiny and ours? Instead of they killed Jesus, the story is Jesus laid down his life. Can you see that? How, how what evil plotted in the darkness, Jesus knew and willingly allowed to redeem us all. This reminds me of the Old Testament story of Joseph and how his brothers hated him, were jealous of him, so they beat him up and threw him into a pit. Then they sold him, their brother, as a slave to Egypt, and Joseph was treated as a servant. But the Bible says God was with him, and he excelled as a servant, and he was promoted. But then evil tried to take him out again a false accusation, and suddenly Joseph now finds himself in prison for something that he didn't do. But again, the Bible says, but God was with him. Joseph sat in a prison for two years. It must have felt like a lifetime and that God had forsaken him, but he hadn't. Because at just the right time, after two years, Pharaoh had a dream, and the dream troubled him. No one could help him understand what it meant, but God gave Joseph the interpretation, and Joseph shared it with Pharaoh, and help Pharaoh save his land. And so Pharaoh promoted Joseph to the head of all Egypt, in charge of all the food. He was exalted to the highest in the land. Joseph, who was abandoned by his own brothers, thrown into a pit, treated and ended up in jail far away, now exalted in the highest in the land. And then during a famine, his brothers, not knowing that he's still alive, came to Egypt desperate for food, and they found him. The brother they whom they had done so much evil against was now in the place to help them and save them. And Joseph did. Instead of showing his brothers revenge, Joseph showed them love and forgave them and embraced them and said in this remarkable speech in Genesis 45, Come close to me, it is I, your brother Joseph. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years, there's been a famine, and for the next five, there'll be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And so it was not you who sent me here, but God. In the end, Joseph saw the big picture, that what the brothers meant for evil, God used for good to save his people. Can you see 
how the same thing is being played out in the story of Jesus and the cross. The very same. Jesus told his disciples in advance he was going to Jerusalem and would be betrayed and crucified, but on the third day he would rise again and salvation would be proclaimed to all the world. Jesus told them it three times, but they didn't truly hear it or believe it or understand it until they could see it. In the story of Joseph and in the story of Jesus, we see this, that the world may plot against and you may have to go through difficult things in this life and may even wonder, where is God? But know that God is working and he is with you and God is in control. So keep the faith because our God is saving and we will see that in the end. Just as God turned the story of Joseph with his brothers and used it for salvation, God turned the story of those who would crucify Jesus and use it for theirs. The cross would be the biggest deliverance of all. So what we see on Palm Sunday then is that Jesus, knowing all of this, rode into Jerusalem ready to die. The people welcomed him and celebrated him because they didn't know what was coming. But Jesus did. They didn't know how the Lord was going to save them, but Jesus did. They didn't know he would have to suffer first to enter his glory. And he would have to suffer in order that we too might enter glory. But Jesus did, and he was willing to come. You know, I can be a pretty anxious person. And the thing I'm learning about my anxiety is that it is all based on what I can see in the moment which is always limited, which is always just in part. And it is usually that part that makes me nervous. All my eyes can see is the giant before me or the wave or the disaster or the fear in my head. But I'm learning that worry is really not believing, not trusting that God is in control even of this and that I can only see in part, but he knows in full and he is able, and he is going to work all things out. So I can worry. I can get all upset. I can choose to, to, you know, to get all troubled and think everything is falling apart. Or I can have faith in him who is behind what I cannot see. And I can keep walking, keep trusting when things happen, that God loves me and is in control and working for my deliverance and those that I love. And so when life turns, and like Joseph, you're sitting in a pit, pit or a prison and you don't know why, keep on believing. Romans 8.28 says, In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What we see in Holy Week is that even the cross had its purpose for our deliverance. I want to read two verses for you here, um, uh, John 18, 1 to 12, and then John 19, 1 to 6. And I want to just hit on a couple points here, for we have been reading through John, and even though it's Palm Sunday, I don't want to skip these passages too, one on the arrest of Jesus and the other on the trial and condemnation of Jesus and what they have to teach us. John 18, 1 to 12 says this, when he had finished praying there in the garden, Jesus left with his disciples, crossed the valley, and on the other side there was an olive grove. And he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who would betray him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out and he asked them, Who is it that you are looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. 
And when Jesus said, I am he, the whole detachment drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked, well, who is it that you want? And they said again, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you, I am he, Jesus said. If you're looking, then let these other men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those that you gave me. Well, Simon Peter, in that moment, he had a sword and he drew it. And he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off the right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus looked to Peter and he commanded him, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and Jewish officials arrested Jesus and bound him. So this happens here on Thursday night, night before Jesus would go to the cross. We see Judas, one of the twelve, we've already seen him in previous sermons, agree to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silvers. He's gotten up from the Last Supper table. At some point, he's gone off. He's gotten these soldiers now. And here we see them come with torches and weapons. And Judas is leading the way. We read in Luke 22 that Judas goes straight up to Jesus and kisses him on the cheek as a sign to the soldiers that this is the guy. All this happens in the middle of the night, probably after midnight, when all of Jesus' followers are in homes, you know, asleep and and aren't able to protest these things. Here, the enemies come to arrest Jesus at night. Why? Because evil works in the darkness, not in the light. Well, what we read here is that Jesus says, who is it that you want? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And when Jesus says, I am he, that he uses that name, I am, which is the name above every name, the name that refers to God, used to God. And, and it causes the whole detachment of all the soldiers to to suddenly fall to their knees. Uh, this is the power behind the name. So Jesus says again, who are you looking for? And he tells them a second time, I am he. Now at this point, they come forward to arrest Jesus. And one of Jesus' disciples puts up a little bit of a fight. And of course, it is Peter. I would argue that no one loved Jesus more than Peter. I mean, he really loved him and wanted to die for the Lord. And so Peter draws his sword and he tries to fight off these guys coming for his Savior, right? Peter didn't realize what had to happen. You know, well, Peter in his zeal ends up cutting off one of the ears of one of the high priest's servants named Malchus. But before this turns into a battle scene, Jesus stops Peter and tells him to put away the sword. He tells his zealous disciple, this isn't going to help me, <laughs> you know. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? In other words, Peter, I came for this. This is the Father's will. I got to go to the cross. Now, John doesn't mention it, but Luke twenty two fifty one says that Jesus then reached down and touched Malchus's ear and healed him, which is an absolutely, I think, stunning moment. Jesus is being arrested by these guys, you know. At the sound of his name, the whole detachment is falling to their knees. Um, but talk about love. I mean, this is a beautiful act of mercy that happens right in the middle of Jesus being arrested, right? Right in the middle, Jesus heals one of the guys who is arresting him. And what Jesus is doing is, is, what he's, is something so important. He's telling Peter and the rest of the disciples, I'm not starting a rebellion or a war, but a mission. I'm not here to condemn the world, but to save it. I got to go to this cross. And, and we Christians have got to remember this. 
that we're not in a rebellion, but a mission. We don't fight the world with swords. We go like Jesus did to a cross for it. We're the servants who, like Jesus, wash his feet and heals the ear of the person arresting him and then picks up a cross. This is the way, right? Jesus said to Peter, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? In other words, I got to do this, Peter. And here we see that Jesus is now fully surrendered to God's will. He prayed in the garden, Father, if there's some other way than this, let me take it, but not my will, but yours be done. Well, here Jesus reveals, I'm now fully surrendered to the way I got to go. I'm willing to drink this cup, to go to this cross. And he does not fight. He lets them take him away, even though he is the son of God and could have wiped them out with a word. He doesn't because this is the way we would be saved. And so they take Jesus to Caiaphas' house, to the high priest, and we read that all the Sanhedrin is there right in the middle of the night, and they begin to question Jesus and one by one accuse him of blasphemy, of saying that he is the Son of God and of healing on the Sabbath and all that. And in Matthew 26, 59, it says that the chief priests and the whole, soul hands, the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus to try to put him to death. What eventually would seal the deal is that when Caiaphas asked Jesus, I charge you under oath, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? When Jesus said yes, that sealed the deal for them. You know, Caiaphas, he tears his clothes. He says, this man's worthy of death. They spit on his face. They strike him with fists, and they take him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now, as all of this has happened in this trial with Jesus, outside in the courtyard is Peter, you know, He's watching and he's listening from a distance. He's looking through the windows. And outside there, someone recognizes Peter. And we read in John 18, 16, it's a girl who first says to Peter, aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter quickly responds to her, I'm not. Then we read a little while later in John 18, 25, as Peter stood warming himself by the fighter, another person asked, aren't you one of those disciples of Jesus and Peter, a second time, denies it, saying, I'm not. And then finally, a brother to Malchus, the guy that Peter had struck off the ear of Malchus, you know, a brother to him, says to him, I saw you with Jesus out there in the garden. And Peter, a third time, denies it and says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And John 18, 27 says, in that very moment, the rooster crowed. I mean, as soon as Peter denied him the third time, the rooster crowed. And Luke twenty-two sixty-two says, Peter, remembered the word Jesus had spoken earlier that night, that before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And the scripture tells us Peter went out and wept bitterly. So I want us to see this, that the very same disciple who told Jesus he would die for him, the very same disciple who just moments earlier drew a sword and was ready to fight for him, now does this. I mean, what happened to Peter in that short amount of time? How come now he is so different than he was just moments before? And the only thing that I see changes here in the story in those couple hours is that Peter now realizes what Jesus is going to do and what it means to truly follow him. Peter now sees the game plan. Peter now sees what has to happen 
and the cost of following Jesus. Peter sees that Jesus is not going to fight these guys. Jesus is going to be crucified for these guys. That is the plan. And Peter isn't so sure about that yet. He isn't ready to lay down his life yet. That's why he denies him three times. And I wanted to mention this because we see that it isn't that Peter is just afraid. No, minutes earlier, he's ready to put up a fight. No, it's that Peter now realizes what the Lord's going to do. He finally gets it. And what following Jesus means, it means laying down your life. Peter can fight, but can he surrender? He saw the virtue in fighting, but could he see the value in the cross? Just like us, we can all yell and fight the world and write our social media angst. But can we love the world? Can we die for the world? Can we pray for it and serve it like Jesus did? Because this is how God wins, not by the sword, but by the cross. Finally, I want to just read John 19, 1 to 6. Because when the Sanhedrin determines then that Jesus is going to have to die, you know, um, they take him to the Roman governor Pilate because it is against the law for them to kill Jesus. The governor has to do that. But Pilate is reluctant. He meets with Jesus. In John 18, 38, Pilate tells the chief priests he finds no basis to charge Jesus. In John 19, 12, it even says Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the people kept shouting, crucify. Well, then this is what it says that Pilate does in John 19, 1 to 6. He says, Pilate took Jesus, had him flogged, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him on the face. Once more, Pilate came out then and said to the crowd, Look, I'm bringing Jesus out to you. I find no basis for charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing that crown of thorns and purple robe, Pilate said, Here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis of charge against him. So Pilate ordered Jesus be flogged. And Roman flogging was 40 lashes with whips and clubs. I mean, Jesus' body would have been beaten up, bruised, and bloodied. The Roman soldiers were known for being exceptionally brutal to prisoners. We read they made a crown of thorns and forced it upon his head. They put Jesus in a purple robe, mocking him like a king and striking him over and over on his face. We read that Pilate did this in order to try to gain sympathy for Jesus, but it didn't work. For the crowd continued to yell, crucify him. Pilate then said, I find no basis. So he offers a prisoner exchange. He offers them one prisoner to be released, and he tries to make it Jesus. But the crowd still chooses Barabbas, a murderer, instead. And so Pilate has nothing left to do but say, what should I do with your king? And they say, he's not our king. We have no king but Caesar. Take him away and crucify him. And so finally, Pilate just washes his hands of him. And we read in John 19, 16, he has Jesus handed over to be crucified. Now, I believe this is a different mob yelling crucify 
than were the ones yelling Hosanna. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us it's the same crowd. But you do have both crowds present in Jerusalem. Those that believe in Jesus and love him and those who don't. Just as you have on the cross next to him, one criminal who believes in Jesus and, and, and another one who doesn't. But what we know here is that Jesus dies for both. The Lord cares about both sides. And on the cross, Jesus even prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He is hoping that both of them, who will, the ones who yell Hosanna, as well as the ones who yell crucify, that both of them will turn to him and be saved. He wants none to perish. He wants both to see the truth of him. And, and so what I want us to see at the start of this Holy Week, I want you to know this about me is that I believe in Jesus, and I hope you do too. I believe he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose on the third day. I believe that he is the Son of God and proved it by everything that he did. I believe in him and have eternal life. I have love him with all of my heart, even though I mess up repeatedly like Peter and at times like even those religious leaders who mocked him and failed to see what he was doing. I am a sinner no less, and I have asked the Lord for forgiveness of all of my sins and strength to live each day for him. And I thank him for the cross. Because that is where he saved me. And so on this Palm Sunday, I wave my palm branch. And I look forward to that great and glorious day when our king will return to take us home. That eternal home that we have with him. Where it says in Revelation 7, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every tribe and nation and people standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they all cried in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels who were standing around the throne and all the elders and the living creatures, they all fell down on their faces before the throne of God and worshiped saying, praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Have a wonderful Palm Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.